Coming up on this week's media project, join Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, Barbara Lombardo, and me, Judy Patrick, filling in for Rex Smith. We'll talk about Hunter Biden's laptop and whether or not journalists missed that story. Did the media overplay President Biden's, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power comment? And we'll also talk about Mick Mulvaney and whether or not that was a good hire by CBS. All that and much more coming up on the Media Project. Next. They wallow in corruption. Papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption. Crime. Welcome to the Media Project, an inside look at media coverage of current events. I'm Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette and now vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. I'm filling in for our usual host, Rex Smith, former editor of the Albany Times Union. Joining us this week is WAMC CEO, commentator, columnist, publisher, etc., 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 Alan Shartok. How you doing, Alan? I'm good, and I'm a huge admirer of your work, Judy, so I'm so glad you're doing it. Uh, also with us is former editor, investigative journalist, and UAlbany professor, Rosemary Armeo. Welcome, Rosemary. Thank you for having me. And Barbara Lombardo, journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of both the Saratogian and the Record in Troy. Thanks for being with us. Hey, right. Great to be here. All right. Our first topic today is, did the media overplay President Biden's, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power, comment at the end of his speech in Poland? Coverage of the comment overshadowed the speech itself, I thought. But was that because the comment did indeed lead to potential escalation of the war? What do you think? Did we overdo it? Alan? Well, I loved it, to tell you the truth. And I thought honesty is the best policy, and I think he was being honest, and the American people appreciated that. And every once in a while, a politician tells the truth, and somebody shakes a finger at him and says, you shouldn't have told the truth. It was impolitic. It wasn't right. You tick somebody off. But in the end, you know, I gave him a lot of credit for doing it. Yeah, but what were legitimate questions raised? Did the press focus too much on that? What do you think, Rosemary? 
Yeah, they did, and they did overshadow the speech, and it was something, you know, say it's nine words he said, you know, on the fly, and that puts it in context. But um, I have to say, having said yes, I think they overdid it. I've read a lot of the coverage and find it interesting. Like one of the analysis was that Biden has a temper, and he has to bite it down in public because his persona is, you know, Uncle Joe, and he's supposed to be kindly and, and good. And he has blown up at reporters before and then had to apologize. We remember that. In this case, it was his expertise as a foreign policy professional that was being questioned. You know, well, how could you say that? How could you say that? That was undiplomatic. And he was annoyed by it. And he bit back and said, no, I don't apologize for it all. I stand by it, leading to a whole bunch of analysis about whether he may have said it on purpose so that Russia would be worried about it, which which would be fine. And it would be a consideration if any other president than Joe Biden had said it. But he is dealing with a right wing talking point that has been hard to shake, that he's out of it, that he doesn't know what he's doing. He's got loose lips and this fed into that. So I think that in the end, while the coverage annoyed me as being overdone, it was interesting and it turned out to be rather important. You know, part of the problem, I think, with the coverage was the fact that the White House press shop called it back so quickly, which gave the press an opportunity to say, oh, well, they're, they're walking it back. I mean, I heard the expression, they're walking it back a hundred times in the two days. What do you think, Barb? It sounded like it was something off the cuff, and it sounded like something he shouldn't have said. And I think that the fact that we you might call it speaking the truth, Alan, but I think he's speaking maybe from the heart. And if something could be taken two ways, don't say it because it's going to be taken maybe not the way that you intended it. Well, I think I see it a little bit differently, with great respect to you, of course. Of course. Uh, I think people appreciate the truth. And I think that the press, of course, has a big role to play in what they emphasize and what they don't. But I think Biden is a guy who tends to call them the way he sees them, and there will always be somebody who doesn't like that. And right, but then, but the follow-up to that is, what did he mean by that? So he said the words, maybe it's true that Putin shouldn't be in power, but what did he mean by that? Does he mean he that there talked, should be a regime change? He also talked about a squadron of American fighters going into Poland, too. That was another thing. Was it a gaffe or was it intelligence that was slipping out? We value, we say we value leaders who tell us the truth and tell us everything, but we really don't. We punish them. And this was another example of it. Yeah, it was off the cuff and it was passionate. He probably shouldn't have said it, but I liked it. And a lot of people did. That's the real problem. We're in a partisan uh, place where half of the people liked it and the other half just saw it as proof he's demented. It disturbs me when when this is one of the repeated things that we call Biden's gaffes, as if the guy is doddering and can't say what he means or misspeaks too often. That's disturbing. We don't really know if that's what happened here or not. Well, but who is it? Is it the press? who promulgates that utterance, you know, that it's beyond the pale? Or is it the people? Who decides when something is off the cuff Well, when Judy says they walked it back immediately and strenuously, that gave the press an opportunity to make a point of it, and they did for days and days and days, it seemed like. But what do you think about our coverage of the war in Ukraine in general? Are there stories that the press is missing? Because I think there are. I wish we could get more coverage out of Russia. I understand that that's very, very difficult at this point. But there are lots of stories. Get to Crimea and talk to the people there. I mean, it seems like there's such focus on the military maneuvers. You're seeing some you know, sidebar stories, we call them. But what are we missing? Because in retrospect, we're going to go back and say, well, we should have asked about this, and we didn't. 
Wow, that's an interesting question because I have to say that I think we're fast approaching saturation. People get sick of tragedy and violence and it's the same story day after day. I mean, how many more mothers can we listen to who's dragging their, their poor, reluctant little children halfway across the world? I mean, how many more? I feel for it. It's horrible. But from the press's point of view, every time we run another one of those, we're turning off more So what's people. the answer, Rosemary? Um, I think it's to keep, the, to me, the story is in the maneuvers. It's in the pummeling of those cities. I would stick with that. I don't think it's overdone. Every time they knock down a new building in Kiev, I want to read about it. That's the story right now. Later comes this other stuff. In fact, I'm annoyed by journalists who bend over backward to find some new rare angle. You don't need it. Do we really need a story about how there's a special status for women who act as surrogates? So Ukraine is like an international surrogate place. Should they stay because they want to be with their own families, or should they run out of the country and protect the fetus inside that belongs to some magnate in New York? That's a stretch to me when you have a city burning. Hey, what, one cities. of the stories I'd like to see is the press has made a lot of the fact that protesters in Russia get hauled away and they face up to 15 years in prison. But we haven't really looked at how many have been sentenced to 15 years in prison or what their sentences are. So, you know, you put the specter out there of them being you know, hauled away, which is wrong and facing 15 years in prison, let's find out actually what happens, you know, the follow-through that reporters are supposed to do. What about the people who manufactured the javelins? Are they raking in the money? Can they keep up with the demand from Ukraine for javelins? Those kinds of stories can be done in addition to the focus on, you know, the incredibly horrible shelling of But that takes an awful, Judy, but that takes an awful lot of hard work, and it's work that many reporters are unwilling to do or can't do. And so that's one of the deficiencies when we talk about news. Yeah, there aren't, there aren't enough. I don't think you can cover a war and also do the backgrounders. I think there's lots of stories to be done about the arms industry and our fault in it. There's tremendous amounts of stories about the environmental damage that's being done in and around Ukraine by this war. You're seeing only kind of experts talking. There's no real reporting on any of that. But you can't go to Chernobyl to look. We say this all the time when we're bashing the media, but you cannot really report in a war zone except about war. And talk about Russia. How are we supposed to report what's going on in Russia Mm -hmm. when the Russian press? And these people are so incredibly brave that are still trying to report. They're trying to report from outside the country. They're trying to use social media. And you know, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists are shutting down their operations. There's How really are we some, supposed to know? There's really some great stuff on social media. Not reporters, but regular Russians. Like, there's one I love. She's a high school girl. She looks like a valley girl, talks like one, except with a Russian accent. <laughs> and she goes around, she goes, okay, I'm now going to go to the mall. Or I'm taking you to the mall so you can see what sanctions look like from Russia. It was fabulous. That's investigative reporting, you know? And those sorts of things are coming out. Those are not as regulated as the independent media, which has been shut down. Although a huge story, as I'm sure you know better than almost anybody else, is the fact that the Russians really have shut down a free press, whatever press there was. And it is as disgraceful as anything else they're doing. Yeah. I want to know what happened to that state TV producer who held up the sign that said you're being lied to, no war. She went into court. Where is she now? What's she doing? Well, she got a short sentence, as I remember. But But, but she had additional terms that they were going to call her up on to be tried for, too. Right, right. So... 
On another matter, CBS has hired Mick Mulvaney, the uh, former chief of staff for President Donald Trump. They've hired him to be an on-air commentator. They say the network needed more conservative voices. People within CBS, especially the journalists, are hollering. Some journalists are criticizing CBS because Mulvaney had a, a, you know, he is the guy that John Bolton was referring to when Mulvaney set up that infamous Mm -hmm. call between Trump and Zelensky back in 2019 because John Bolton said he wouldn't touch any drug deal Mulvaney and his crew were cooking up when it came to supplying arms to Ukraine. So what do you think? Is hiring Mulvaney a step too far when it comes to trying to get a conservative voice, especially when it comes to paying him? I think it's unethical. Yes, they do need more conservative voices. So you talk to them. You make them the interview topic. You bring them on the show. You make them comfortable enough to talk to you to get the other side. You make them a news maker. That's what he is. But now they've essentially bribed him to give them information. It's like paying him for his story. Come on out and be one of us. Come on, save the jobs to journalists and students. They need them. But why are they doing that? They're doing it because they've been accused by huge swaths of the American people of being one-sided, right? And they are saying, yeah, Yeah, but but why him? It doesn't have to be him. There are credible people with conservative views. You know, they always say that. As soon as somebody says, you shouldn't have done that, they say, yeah, yeah, you're right, but why him? Why this? Well, Um, he's a name. He's part of the Trump administration. And it's pandering to a segment of the population that we shouldn't be rewarding. <laughs> and he most likely signed a non-disclosure agreement, so he's not going to be able to talk about anything dealing with the Trump administration. Anything we really want to hear. <laughs> An internal memo that was leaked from CBS or some sort of a communication indicated that CBS was predicting that you know the Republicans were going to take control of both houses and they needed Mulvaney on board because they right. wanted the access he was going to provide. So the question is, does he stay or does he go? It sounds like he will stay. You know, Corey Lewandowski, he got hired by CNN, but he didn't last long at all because he wasn't that helpful. I'm sorry that this disease of hiring ex-Trumpers has spread from Fox. I really am sorry to see that because other real journalists need jobs. And the boss, the new boss at CBS is worrisome. Did you notice in the article that we shared that he's also directing his news programs on who he'd like to hear interviewed? So at the same time that I'm saying, yes, we do need to get more conservatives out there talking, it shouldn't be the boss who's currying favor with the Republicans telling me who to. This is sounding very Putin-esque to me. Independent media means you decide who needs to be talked to. Can we take a minute to read a letter we received? Um, oh, good. Anybody who wants to write to us can at media at WAMC.org. But we got this letter from Bob who said, Hi, all. My wife and I have loved your show for years and try to listen as often as we can. Our only complaint, and I know that you have heard this a million times, is that it is too short. Should be at least an hour. Besides, I agree with that. There are others. Did Roselle write that? <laughs> <laughs> but Bob also adds that regarding hey, last week's show, I am sorry that Rex got stuck in traffic. We all are. But happy <laughs> that it allowed the addition of Ian Pickus to the group. I had never heard him before in this context. To my ears, he has a fresh, younger voice of commentary, standing in the place where we all were a few years ago. I could not agree more. And it was I, Alan Chartoff, who um, who, who said, <laughs> who, him in who said, let's get in here, Ian. Ian has a great future here at WAMC, and I'm not at all sure that he won't be running the whole show pretty soon. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. You know, and while Ian is younger, he's not young anymore. He's been around enough. He's younger than us. 
probably less than half of some of our ages. <laughs> he's not even case. 40. He's yeah. not even 40. My God, he's a kid. I'm sorry. He was at UAlbany <laughs> when I first came as a student. He was there. He, he was working for me at the Saratoga yeah. in the sports department. Yeah. He is terrific. I think he has been a great addition when he's on this program. I agree. I couldn't agree more. Well done, Alan. <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate it, and I deserve it. <laughs> but a half hour is plenty. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about Hunter Biden's laptop? Oh, boy. Uh, what journalistic lessons should we learn from the Hunter laptop story, one that I would concede the mainstream media largely dismissed in the run-up to the 2020 election. The story returned in recent weeks with news that a grand jury convened by federal prosecutors was continuing to sift through evidence related to his business dealings, that is Hunter. Some of what was on the laptop, especially emails, show how Hunter Biden was profiting from business relationships in China and Europe, and that they've now been validated. But if you remember back in 2020, the New York Post ran a story claiming to have been given access to these emails, wrote a story about it. Their reporters had a byline boycott Twitter blocked the Post story, citing its policy barring hacked materials, then suspended the New York Post's account. The Wall Street Journal was debating whether or not to run the story. Um, many of us kind of said we're very dubious of the story, but now it's become clear that there was a laptop. The FBI has it, and the Washington Post and the New York Times are both saying, are looking at these emails and they're showing it some clear problems Hunter Biden has had. So what does this prove? It proves that whether it's a Democratic president or a Republican president, there's always the possibility for what we could only call corruption, and that a good press, the kind of thing we talk about here every week, are capable of saying, you know, you can be a Democrat, you can be a Republican, but nobody deserves shelter. Our job is to make sure we ferret it all out and say what we need to do. But we're between a rock and a hard place on that particular issue. At the time, when it couldn't be corroborated, you didn't want to report that it was true. You didn't want to give legs to a story that might have been and seemed to be maybe not true. On the flip side, I long thought that the press was way too dismissive of the allegations and that Mm -hmm. it stunk to high heaven from the very beginning that Hunter had that job, that he was making that much money. You knew that it just wasn't right. And we, in the more liberal-leaning media, I think was culpable covering it up or dismissing it. It's a recurrent problem that the liberal media has that if we don't like the source of the story or the information and parts, we ignore it. We did it with what was the source of the Wuhan flu, Mm -hmm. as our president, our ex-president called it. And we dismissed that as a story that had no basis. And in fact, it was then belatedly, just like Hunter Biden, picked up, researched thoroughly, and it turns out not to be true. It did not start this virus, probably did not come from our lab. But we dismissed it. it. Even the way we report those things where the media could say we couldn't corroborate these things but not be dismissive of it. But the Hunter Biden story is interesting to me also. I consistently said he deserves to be investigated. The Department of Justice going after him is completely called for. But for the press, it's a problem because we really care about Joe Biden. If he did something terrible, if he is corrupt, if he attempted to bribe his father or to use his influence, okay, charge him with it. But, you know, all the relatives of the presidents are all kind of slimy. How many stories of those have we written? That's not the big deal. What the pushers of the story wanted was to prove that Joe Biden was corrupt. And Mm. that was never proven. That's the reason there was a boycott in the paper, because they didn't have the evidence and they slimed him anyway. So boycotting that part of the story was correct, but we did let Hunter buy. And, you know, Hunter is a sympathetic figure. He's had a lot of tragedy. He fell into drug use, which you can say about how many members of the public. It actually is a very compelling story. 
Go ahead, Al. I was just going to say, you know, there's been a lot of background on this, and it is up to a vigilant press to put the background together. I remember, for example, a specific story in which it was brought out during the last presidential campaign that Joe Biden didn't have any money and that Barack Obama had offered him to help him with his payments on his house or something of that kind. It, it was wow. in the papers. So one and one makes two. Now you got Hunter Biden, to, who is obviously making out here. You've got Joe Biden, who did have fiscal issues, and a sensitive press or a good press is going to put all of that together. And you have the Biden daughter, whose diary was stolen by a right-leaning outlet that <laughs> is trying to bribe the Bidens with that, too. It's a mess, and it shows corruption in the media, not just in the politics of yep. the country. Yeah, not to be too defensive of the media, but there was a, we You're were always right. defensive. We of were the media. we were right to be dubious sure. because the, I mean the the Trump campaign was pushing this story and efforts to get access to the hard drive that you would need to verify that the emails were true. They couldn't get the Post allegedly had it, the New York Post, but the Washington Post and the New York Times couldn't get access to right. it. So there, it is difficult to write. And the bottom line is, you're right, Rosemary. It's the son. There was no indication, or has been no clear link established between the father and whatever the son was doing. Correct. Well, Trump is still smearing it. He's now saying what the mayor of what city in Ukraine gave the, the Bidens each millions of dollars. What is that? I never heard that. So now the mainstream media is trying to do a little bit of catch up with this. There's some really fascinating stories out there about Hunter Biden. Again, they haven't made any connection with the father, but I think we're all feeling a little better about where that story stands. <laughs> in terms of the truth. In, ter out. in yeah. terms of the truth coming out. So can we just reference something we talked about earlier about this Russian newspaper edited by the Nobel Prize winner? They're halting their publication after they've been warned by, you know, the central state in Moscow that they're, you know, treading on thin ice. This is the uh, Novaya Gazeta, the independent Russian newspaper edited by Dmitry Muratov. I think they're suspending at the end of this month or next. The editorial board said in a statement that it had received a warning after the independent journalist conducted an interview with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. That interview got a little bit of time, but then it quickly got taken down. I hope it can get to the Russian people some other way, perhaps through Telegram. But again, you have to wonder what's left in terms of press coverage of anything in Russia. Well, the Russians are, have become, of course, you have to be sightless not to see it, they've become fascists, and they are not allowing any freedoms that doesn't serve their current leadership, Putin at all, well. I mean, it's that simple. We just can't look away and not understand that. They're closing down the press, they're closing down the televisions, and they've got some very fearless journalists who are doing the right thing, carrying signs behind a newsreader saying that they're lying, uh, don't believe them. But in the end, it is a fascist state. It is, but there are ways, and the Russian people are smart and clever than they are getting news. They are all using VPNs, which are private networks. Mm -hmm. you, you can use somebody else's phone in a different country and get to the Internet and find news. And did you catch Arnold Schwarzenegger's speech to the Russian people? Masterful. He was using it in social media channels to get it in, and it was just a masterpiece of persuasive arguing. He didn't act like the big tough guy or the movie star. It was very humble. He was vulnerable. He said, we're like you, Russian people. You're being lied to. Listen to me. And he connected it to his own fascist background. His father was in the Nazi army. 
and he told the Russian people, I don't want you to be broken like my father was. It was, it was really terrific. Very moving. It was terrific. Yeah. I, I don't know how to measure or how to find the measure of whether that is reaching the Russian people. Yeah, that's and a I story hope that I'd it's like become viral within yeah. social media, within, within Russia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, within a day, I think had gotten 10 million views. I mean, there are a lot of people in the world, and 10 million may be just a drop in the bucket, but it was quickly accelerating. One of the reasons why is because because Arnold is so popular, apparently, especially in Russia. Yeah. Uh, so one of the other avenues people are using, there's an independent uh, news network called TV Brain. They went outside of Russia because they couldn't operate freely inside of Russia, and they, they are posting their news on YouTube. But again, Putin is working really hard to block all those channels. I'd be interested to see what other ways you could get information. Is radio getting into Russia? I mean, is that a good way radio to be? Radio Free Europe sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and Alice Novotny, the most well-known Putin opponent, runs an investigative reporting network, and they continue to operate, too. And they're widely listened to. But Russia's as divided as we are as far as people who support the government and those who don't. So, Except in this country, we can't be as repressive as the Russians you know, certainly are. Yeah. That's the difference between at least a semi-democracy and a non-democracy. Although what's happened here, it's worsened in, in recent years, is public lack of faith in the press that they don't want to believe what they're hearing. You know, that's one of the reasons I think that there was this effort that was ultimately unsuccessful to have Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, speak at the Oscars because they knew it would be such a worldwide audience. A lot of people were saying, don't do it, which seems frivolous, but in the end, it didn't happen. But, you know, in retrospect, I thought maybe that would have been a way to reach the people of Russia because we are of the belief that if the people of Russia actually knew the truth, that they would do something to change that. Except we in America have learned that that is a liberal dream, that when people know the truth, they say, that's your truth. I have a different opinion. I don't believe you. (laughs) And last topic of the day is the CNN Plus, which launched this week. It's this new streaming service where CNN is offering us all sorts of news programming. They're trying to keep up with this demand for streaming. Do you think it will be successful? Do you think it's the wave of the future? Will you pay for CNN Plus? Uphill battle. Anderson Cooper talking about parenting. Is that really going to bring in more more viewers? Yeah, I didn't care whether it was going to be six bucks plus fees, I'm sure, yeah. per month, or three bucks if I sign yeah. up now. I'm not that interested in grabbing another channel that I have to pay for at the moment. Right. Unless it's a series where they have TV shows that I'm really interested in seeing. They have a lot of people who are interviewing, but you have that in news shows, and they're promoting the heck out of it, which also makes me suspicious. Brian Seltzer's Reliable Sources was like an extended commercial this past week. Exactly. The only the one person you might be willing to pay six bucks a month for would be Chris Wallace, the former Fox host who's wandered over to CNN to see what he has to offer. I imagine that a lot of what he does will show up on regular CNN as well. Yeah, it'll make news. This is like when Trumpers write books, and you don't want to buy them because you don't want to support them, and you don't have to because you just read in the newspaper the main points. Listen it's to Joe Donahue. exactly like that, but... <laughs> so the problem with the streaming services, Alan, is you might know or might understand, is there are so many of them. There's Hulu, there's... HBO Max, there's Netflix, and you can't keep track of what show you watch on what streaming service, and the the bills are starting to rack up, and CNN is thinking that this is their way to keep alive. They have this repetitive loop of news on the regular station, and now, you know, Jake Tapper's doing book reviews, and they're offering these premium services. I agree with their thinking that this is a market, and you got to get into it, so they're late to the game a bit, 
but it's not too late to get it's into also the game. Un- I'm sorry. It's also unclear where this is all going. We don't know if CNN, in its present form, has a future life. Okay. There's uh, there have been. Rep- Thank you for that. I'm sorry. Is that your tummy? That is. (laughs) There have been repeated reports that CNN is going to be under different kind of ownership, and we won't know whether or not what we have come to expect from CNN is what we're going to be getting in the future. Yeah, this this new merger has thrown everything into doubt, hasn't it? Starting with Zucker out the door. It's been a tough year for CNN. They've had a lot of controversies, and um, they're trying to rebuild their credibility. They're doing a good job with their coverage of the war, but... Other than that, the CNN Plus launch in Zucker's vision, but um, we'll see where they go with it. In we'll no see. way do I want this to seem condescending or anything, but I want you to know, Judy, you've done a terrific job <laughs> as the moderator this week, and we want to thank you. Well, thank goodness, because that's all the time we have this week. Thanks to Alan, Rosemary, and Barbara, and thanks to our producer, David Gustina. I'm Judy Patrick. Thanks for joining us. See you next week on The Media Project. They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now newspaper men are such interesting people. When they know they've got a people's fight to wage. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, professor emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Judy Patrick is the vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. Barbara Lombardo is a journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. And Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and adjunct professor at the University at Albany. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at WAMC.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. And to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising. Get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. <laughs>